Cool. Let's, um, guys have been sitting for a while. Stand up quick. Let's just stand and have a little quick stretch and a breath. And there you go. Okay, Andre's getting a deep back stretch in here. Yeah? See, if I do that, then I'm going to walk with a limp for like a week. So, all right, cool. Okay, you guys can grab a seat. So, my name is Adam. For those of you who don't know me, some of you may have forgotten me because I've been not here for about two months. Um, I haven't been in jail. I have also not been in rehab. I have not been abducted. Um, no, just as a family, we just took kind of two months to just rest and find each other and, and yeah, just spend some time connecting again. But I'm very, very excited to be back. And uh, yeah, so I'm one of the elders on this team, and it's a privilege to serve with these guys. And I'm really excited, actually, to share something this morning, not because I think I've got anything that's really good, but just because, man, there's something about the heart of Jesus in how he relates to us and in what he's building that is just so beautiful. And to be a part of that is really exciting. Um, but maybe, you know, for me, uh, I think maybe it's just a byproduct of a misspent youth, but my memory is a bit, you know, not great from week to week. So I'm the kind of guy, when you're watching a series, I like to watch the recap from last week so that I know where we're at. Um, and even on this, this is not some great idea that I've had. I'm actually building on something that Luke, who leads us, has been feeling in the Lord. And so last week on Josh Jen... Milton. So, so Luke preached this preach on unity, um, and that's kind of the theme and what we're feeling the Lord really driving into us at the moment. And unity is, it's not some idea that we're all just going to agree and get on well. No, we fight for unity because the word says that where there is unity, God commands his blessing. And I don't know about you, but I quite like the idea of living in and under God's blessing. That for me is a good thing. And so Luke preached on how we're actually members of one body. The call is for us to be joined, grafted together, this fellowship of believers who grow and reach a unity of faith and the knowledge of Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to be united, one man running for the same thing and growing in our knowledge of Jesus. And that as we do that, actually, each one of us learns to walk in the eternal purpose and destiny to which God has called us because he has. You have been built with a purpose and a call and a meaning that is holy and eternal. And that as a body, actually, we're called to pull ourselves together. You don't randomly walking around flinging bits of your body off. It's like, no, we pull together, we hold together, the whole body functioning together and making every effort not to war against ourselves. No one in their right mind wars against any part of their own body. And that through this, this unity, this is the thing that is so alien and different to the world that it is the evidence of the manifold wisdom of God. That is the evidence that Jesus was sent by his son to redeem us and save us. It's this thing. It's this unity. And so that's what Luke preached on. That's kind of the foundation we're building on. That's where we're going to be going for the next while, not because we think it's a good idea, but because I genuinely believe that is what the Lord has got in his heart for us. And so this human body thing is a really good analogy, but like all good analogies, at some point they break down. And so even the body, you know, we're born as humans generally fully formed. All the bits that you're going to have in your life are on you and a part of you and already in you. But the church and the kingdom is different in that the word talks about how parts are grafted into us. So we are not the fully formed perfect picture of the church right now. 
No, we've got members and parts being grafted and joined into us all the time. But there's this shift that has to happen because to get from not in us to in us, something has got to happen. Something happens that joins you in, that grafts you into this body. And so to actually even start to grapple this concept of unity, there's first got to be the step from disunity into unity, outside to inside, not part of the family, to adopted. And the thing is, though, that there's an enemy who doesn't want you to do that. And there's a very simple reason. There is a devil. There is Satan. And he hates unity because it commands the blessing of Jesus, because it is a picture of God. And so he will actually do anything he can to either keep you out, to keep you not part of us, because once you're in, you live in the blessing of Jesus. Or once you're in, he will do everything in his power to tear you out. Because he hates you, because he hates Jesus, and you look like him. And so, I love actually looking at the ministry of Jesus. And just so you know the roadmap where we're going today, we're going to actually talk about going after the one. And doing it like Jesus did. And I love it. If you look at Jesus, and I've just been reading through John. And there's this beautiful sort of pattern of Jesus ministering to crowds, ministering to many, and then stopping, ministering to one. Preaching to many, and then spending time with a Samaritan woman at a well, speaking to her sin and her brokenness, and actually bringing healing and freedom to her. Ministering to many, and then seeing Zacchaeus in a tree, this enemy, this traitor, this tax collector, this pariah, this social outcast, and he calls him by name, Zacchaeus, you. Come down, I'm coming to your house. Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and the blind man, Jesus and the lame man. There are all these titles as you read through the Bible of Jesus and the one. And yes, he cares about the many and he preaches to the many. But man, what I love is how often he takes the time to interrupt even his own ministry, to interrupt his journey, to take time out of his life, to go out of his way just to stop and talk to the one. And it's in those individual encounters that people's eternities and lives are changed and people are healed. And then you get Jesus and Adam, Jesus and Andre, Jesus and Daryl. Like this is the ministry of Jesus. Yes, he is building a kingdom. He is building a church. He is building this thing, but he's doing it one heart, one person at a time. And that is how the kingdom grows, as he reaches actually each one of us and brings us in. And to me, like, I, I laugh at this actually because I'm like, Jesus, that's really inefficient. I mean, you're this massive gift, you know, this work of miracles. You would think, like, get a TV, get some cameras, get that man on the big screen, let this ministry go wide. Like, that's how I would do it. That'd be greatest coverage, you know, as much. And yet Jesus is like, no, I'm not into that. I'm after the ones. And you see it through his whole life. And he's come to save and to heal a desperately broken world full of desperately broken people. And he's doing it one person, one heart at a time. And so, you know, I... Let's get a little bit of interaction here. Um, I'm a lawyer. Anything you say now can and will be used against you. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tithe box will go around again at the end. Um, 
Okay, so do you believe that the Bible is the God-inspired word, infallible, eternal truth? If that's you, stand up. It'd be really awkward if someone's sitting now. We'll come and find you after the service. Okay, you can sit down. Okay. Do you believe that the Bible is still relevant and true today, that it's got application in our lives? Okay, amazing. Okay, do you believe that you should read it and that as you do, it should shape you, that it, it's this living word that will require some kind of response of you? Yeah, left foot in, right. Okay. Would you call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, someone who listens to his word, takes it in, sees it as truth, applies it, lives it, that he's this resurrected God who we follow as empowered by his Holy Spirit? Okay, you can sit. So I'm now going to use that against you with some of this word that we've actually spoken about. Can you put up for me John 13, verse 34 to 35? Now this passage, just the context of this, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He's shown them how to live. He's predicted his own betrayal and death. Judas has already decided, actually, to betray him in this moment. And Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I almost feel like we could end it there, because you said you believe this, you said this is true. You said you want to be a disciple of Jesus. So love one another. That is the requirement. That is what he's asking, but... Yeah, you know, I love it. It wouldn't be a good preach if you didn't throw some Greek in there. So I've seen, so I've seen the, the good guys do it. But this word new, this new command that he's talking about, the Greek word for that is actually kainen. And it implies a freshness, a, a difference, the opposite of worn out or tired. And so what Jesus is actually saying is, I'm not just giving you an additional or, you know, a different command. I'm giving you a command in a fresh and new way. It's something different to what you've seen before. And the reason it's different is that there's a standard that has been set that has never been set before. And the standard is, as I have loved you. And there are many times where actually we've been told to love in the Word, even prior to this. But what Jesus is saying here is the extent to which I have loved you that now is the benchmark. By that mark, love one another. And so it's actually not just enough to love Jesus. I think often as Christians, we find that quite an easy part because Jesus is very, very lovable, you know. And he's died for us. And there's this like, in a sense, there's almost this great debt owed to him. And so, you know, we love him. But he's saying, no, 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 if you love me, love one another. That's the standard. That's the benchmark. And he's saying, in the extent to which you love one another is the extent to which I've loved you. So the big question comes, well, when? When should we display and live in this love? Well, whenever. <laughs> Any opportunity. Always. 
You're never going to go wrong reaching out to someone in love. Never. Where? I'd say the first part is probably here. You know, we said earlier, the enemy does not want you to stay a part of us. He does not want you to remain in us. He will sow division. He will sow lies. He will sow hurt. He'll, he brings in this mess to try and poison, actually, the relationship. Because when we are together, God commands his blessing. I promise you the enemy does not want that in us. And he'll use rejection. That's actually the most often, you know, rejection is the big thing that keeps us out. And that was, I'll be vulnerable with you, that was my struggle. My life, the way I grew up, the way things shaped me, I had huge rejection issues and huge independent issues. But here's the thing. We are made, according to the word, in the image of God. And because we're made in his image, we're made with this purpose and design and destiny and this eternal kind of hope and future in him. And when we look like him, when we're made in his image, we actually share in the love that exists between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because that's, that's what he made us to look like, is to reflect that. Even Jesus' prayer, he was like, Lord, would they be one as you and I are one? He's always been trying to pull us into what he already has with the Father. And so what the enemy does is he comes and tries to corrupt that. So, you know, before you join a church, before you give your life to him, usually you're struggling with all your own massive identity issues. But the reality is as much as we are made to be in his image, we're constantly also being reformed into his image. Even now, I'm being made more and more into his image every day by his word, by his spirit, by people actually shaping and loving me. And so our weapon against this attack on identity is actually love. I'll tell you straight, I didn't join this church because I loved Jesus. That's not why I came. I actually came because I was desperately lonely, desperately independent, and desperately afraid. And I came to a service in Sunnydale, and I met a guy there called Gerard Klaassen, and he just became a friend to me. He loved me. He was, he, I think he's the first guy who ever believed in me. Actually, if I'm honest, it was the first time, and he's, I mean, he's still around, like those of you who know him, you know, but he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and he spoke that to me long before I'd even heard the Lord say anything about me. He was like, Adam, I believe in you. Adam, I see this in you. Adam, I'm calling this in you, and at the time, I was still a drug-addled lunatic sleeping with my girlfriend. Like, that's how I came to this church. And he loved me through that for years. I actually fell in love with Gerard Klaassen before I fell in love with Jesus. But in seeing him and experiencing that level of love, I was like, oh, when you talk about the love of the Father, this is what that is. I was like, okay. And it was the love actually that was in him that eventually broke through and unlocked me. And the life I live now, I would, I would never have lived if not for that man and not for his love. And I often sit there and I'm like, Lord, can you imagine what my life would be if he had not been faithful to what you'd put in him? If he had not been faithful with me? Not that I'm some great anything, but if not for that, I would not have finally yielded and given my life to Jesus. I would not have met my wife. I would not have my kids. We would not have planted Brooklyn. We would... How many of you 
would have not walked in what you've walked in just through, you know, having known us in our lives. And know this, if you struggle with rejection, it's a lie. It really is. It's a lie and it's a tactic of the enemy. He wants you to feel, actually, that you're not made in his image, that you're not worthy of love, that you're not... It is a lie. And the antidote to that lie is to actually know that you are made in his image and to allow yourself to be loved. I was the spikiest character when I came to this church. I really was. And Herod wore me down. Probably took him two years to break through to me. But he did. Learn to find your affirmation in him. But let it happen through people. And know this, when people come and they want to love you, it's not some disingenuous, you're just a Christian and you have to be nice. No, I understand how little my life was actually worth because of how I, lived, how I lived it. I understand how much grace and mercy and love has been poured out for me on the cross. And that provokes in me something that we have to love. And so that's in us. That's among us. The other part is out there in the world, man. There is a desperate, sick, lonely hurting, pained world full of pleasures unimaginable that will mask and plug the hole and medicate the pain and lead you very happy to an eternity in hell. And what that world needs is not some good social justice movement or a change in government or a change in GDP. It needs Jesus because that is the thing that will heal a heart. But the world doesn't know him. And so us, we are actually his ambassadors. We, when we are out there in the world, when we are showing this strange love that makes no sense, that we get nothing in return for, people are like, what is that? Because that is why I joined this church. I came to it and was like, these people are weird. No one loves like this. No one loves this patiently and with this much perseverance. And eventually I was like, this must be something more than just Christians being nice. And then I met Jesus. And then when I saw him, everything changed for me. How do we love? Well, like Jesus did. He loved us more than he loved his own life. And that's often where it gets hard for us. Because love costs really does. Cost Jesus everything. Everything. Jesus loved more than his own life. He loved more than his own comfort. He loved more than his own convenience. He loved more than what he happened to be busy with at the time. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to be delayed. He was willing to be slowed down. He was willing to stop the big upfront everything for the sake of the one. He wasn't concerned with how poor or rich or dirty or clean or gifted or what religion or background or culture you came from. Jesus, he was always, always, always looking out and going after the one. So this is great. Like, 
Does this inspire you to some level of wanting to love? Okay, so if you're anything like me, I often have good ideas, and then I'm really, really bad at execution. And I'm hoping to help us with that this morning. But what does love actually look like? You'll find a lot of really messed up ideas out there in the world. I'd encourage you not to go there. But this word, this thing that is alive and living and has the power to change and shape us, it has some very cool things to say about love. So if you can put up 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 8, and we know the scripture so well, but I really spent time in this week just asking the Lord to really break this down for me because can I tell you even, guys, I'm not just up here preaching this to you. I really felt challenged deeply by this, and even driving here this morning, felt the Lord showing me aspects of my heart. I was like, Lord, I can't, I can't preach this and not live it. Please, like, Holy Spirit, help me to live this way. Because it is so important, because it says, if I speak in the tongues of man and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. In our world, in our frame of reference, we see those people living that way, giving all they have to the poor, working in signs and miracles and wonders and gifts, and we're like, wow, what a manifestation of the power of God. And Jesus looks at that and says, that looks nothing like me if it is divorced from love. And it goes on to give us this passage that we know so well and we read so often. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. But I wanted to actually just stop and break some of those down because the first thing you'll find is two action words, what love is. It says love is patient. I love you more than my time. I will love you for long. I've got to love you far past where I'm inconvenienced and far past even where my own inclinations are like, hey, I I think I've put enough there now. It is patient. Gerard was two years patient with me. Imagine he tapped out. And I gave him, I gave him plenty of reason to. Two years. That man pursued me. And I live in what I live in now because of that. Love is kind. It is friendly. It is generous. It is welcoming. It is open. It is warm. It's considerate. And I'll be a bit vulnerable for you. My challenge. So, growing up, kind of largely left to my own devices, I came into adulthood very insecure, very independent, very unsure of myself, classic orphan spirit. And then God in all his wisdom leads me into a career where my entire job all the time is people. I'm a lawyer. I deal with people all day, every day. And I really didn't like people. 
But even that, it was the Lord teaching me something, even just through my job. He was like, Adam, you've got this skill you need to learn. You need to learn how to be able to just go up to people and talk to them and disarm them and not be so self-preserving and so self-protecting all the time. And he really used that. That is my job. That's all I do all day. And even through that, he killed that thing in me. And I thought I was dead. And then a little while ago, the Lord just showed me something in my own heart. And I'm being very open here. But literally two weeks ago, the Lord showed me this little thing in my heart. He's like, Adam, sometimes when you're in a context where there are two or three people engaged in a conversation, there's something in you that makes you not want to go and break into that. And it's protection. You're worried that if you go, they're going to be talking about something else and they're going to rebuff you. And I was like, yeah, it's true. I do feel like that often. You get some guys who easily just slide into a conversation and it's cool. I don't, I'm not, I don't know how to do that. Thanks, man. I love you too, Beth. But I felt the Lord challenge me. He's like, Adam, you can't love properly if you can't kill that thing. And so then he also happens to tell me this at our elders camp time where there are lots of conversations of people standing together having DMCs and you never know who's talking about what. And also a lot of my friends are there. And I felt like the Lord really is like, Adam, you've got to kill this thing now. You've got to kill it because it's making you ineffective in your love. And so I spent that whole time at the elders camp with a social experiment of going and inserting myself into two or three little people huddled together. I was serious. And you know what the most amazing thing was? Is that I was thoroughly rejected in all. No, I'm joking. No. No, but seriously, it was, it, was, it was actually an area of my mind that the enemy had captive. Because I was like, if I go there and they like all shut down the conversation and then I feel weird and awkward like, uh. but actually, it was a lie. It was a strategy of the enemy to just keep me slightly awkward. And then I went and then I killed that thing. And it was amazing. A lot of the time, I just flowed into a conversation, and I was a part of it, and people were friendly, and I was like, wow, it's like these people know Jesus or something. <laughs> but if we're not kind, if we're not warm, if we're not welcoming, it's a skill you can learn, and it's not that you're faking or putting something on, it's that there's a revelation of what his love looks like, and we have been shaped by our worlds, and we need to be remade into the image of Christ. Love does not envy it is always willing that you should be preferred over me. That actually I hope you have more success than I do. I hope you walk in more than I walk in. That we celebrate each other's victories and fortunes. Not get all bitter because why not me? Love does not boast. It doesn't want the limelight it's willing to be anonymous. It's about you, not me. I don't care if I get the recognition. I care that you do. I don't care if I don't shine. I hope that you do. It doesn't dishonor others. It covers them. Keeps their confidences. Shields their shame. Just like Jesus did, man. He went to that cross and took every shred of shame and indignity I had. And he drank it to the dregs so that I could actually live pure and righteous in front of him. It's not self-seeking. Luke spoke about this last week. Do we outdo one another in honor? 
Are we looking outward all the time, not to what I need in this moment, not to the comfort I need, not to the, no, Lord, who's out there? Who is the one, Jesus? Who is the one that's on your heart? Lord, show me. I want to live like you live. Jesus, give me the one. It's not easily angered. My wife will testify that this is often my struggle as well. Am I patient, slow to get cross, long-suffering? It should take you a very, very, very long time to get angry. It really should. And guys, especially guys, put this thing to death in yourselves. Keeps no record of wrongs. When you are easily angered, are you letting go quick? Are you walking away fast? Because let me tell you, when you are loving new people into the kingdom and loving new people in your church, they are rough. They're coming in with lots of jagged edges, lots of hurt, lots of brokenness. You have got to be so quick and so willing to overlook those offenses, to overlook their shortcomings, to cover them actually as Jesus did on the cross. And I love that picture. Like, if anyone could have kept a record of wrongs, it's Jesus. And he knows not just what I do here when I'm around all you nice people. He knows the stuff going on even in my heart and in my mind. And still, that stuff even, he doesn't hold against me. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects Are we protective of those the Lord has given to us? Do we cherish them and hold them and treasure them? Love always trusts. Again, Luke touched on this. Trust is not earned. Trust is not earned. Trust is given. And it's given again. Trusting is being willing to actually believe the best in others. Because the enemy wants to sow division. So you will walk up to that group of three people and at that one time they actually are discussing something really important and quite confidential. Hey Adam, it's actually not a good time. Could we catch up later? My little rejected heart is going to be like, oh, told you. Rejection. But actually, I should trust that in that moment it was important that I should believe the best in them, that if there was any other way, they would have included me in that. It always hopes. Trust, I mean, love has got a confidence in the future. It looks at your circumstance now and says, man, that really is difficult. But you know what, man, there is so much more for you in Jesus. If Harold Clarkson had not hoped in me, I didn't give him a lot to work with. But he saw something for me that I didn't see for myself. And that is what hope is. Always reaching forward to people, even in their hard circumstances, even in their heartbreak, even in the difficult times. No, there is more for you because we serve a powerful, living God who's able to redeem. It always perseveres. Doesn't just keep on trusting and protecting and being patient for a little while. Perseverance speaks of long road, through difficulty. 
I don't have to persevere sitting on my couch at home. That's quite comfortable. I quite like that place. But send me running, and I've got to persevere. And so often when it gets hard, we think this can't be God. Jesus did some hard things. And he was God. He is God. We've got to persevere, even when we're tired, even when we're rebuffed, even when those we love reject us, even when they don't listen, even when they're slow to listen, even when we have to say the same thing a few times. We persevere in it. Because Jesus is ever faithful in his love to us. Love never fails. It never fails. Get this right, and it will not fail. What I love about this is you could replace the word love here with Jesus. Because Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking or easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus trusts. Jesus hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus never fails. As Jesus has loved you, love one another. And I feel like we can't just pay lip service to this thing. It is the command. It is the new command. It is the standard by which we measure. We can't even, as Christians, afford to measure our love by how we love. The benchmark is actually, it's that. It's Him. And to just do it in our own flesh, good luck to you. You need His Holy Spirit. You need to be spending time actually letting Jesus love you and shape you and change you because this is hard. Love one another. As Jesus has loved you, love one another. And that is the one. That is the difficult one. The one who tries you. Love him. I was that guy. I am that guy. I'm that guy to Jesus still. Seriously. I thank Jesus for his mercy and kindness and patience towards me. Because I know I need it. So I'm going to hand over to Anton again in a second, but I felt like for us, this is a thing that Jesus really wants to build into us, into how we actually live our lives. And, and sometimes it's just an awareness. Sometimes it's just knowing the truth that actually changes us. And so what I want to do in this week, Jesus' heart is always that we go after the one and that might be among us, and that might be outside of us. Take time this week and actually ask the Lord, Lord, you love people desperately. You love the one. Who is the one that you're putting on my heart? Ask him. Lord, put someone on my heart, please. Let me love someone like you love me. And as he does it, be obedient. Actually do it. Say, okay. Thank you, Jesus. You've put Anton on my heart. Okay. Lord, I want to spend some time just praying for Anton. What do you see for him, Lord? What does he need? How can I help him? How can I love him? What do you 
How do you want to encourage him? And actually take the time and ask the Holy Spirit because he put him in your heart. He knows what he needs. He... And then be obedient. And then when Anton rejects you, persevere. Be quick to forgive. Go back and try again. And if you're the one with the rejection issue, man, don't freak out. This is someone with a revelation of Jesus actually wanting to reach out and love you. Trust. Believe the best. Even if they've wronged you in the past or hurt you. This is the command for us to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And so can I ask that you actually commit to doing that? Like, don't just hear it now and go home and forget and get busy with your life. Because that was not Jesus' ministry. He stopped his life. He went out of his way. He set time aside to love the ones. And it's those ones, it's those stories that we read, those things, for me, to my heart, they echo on into eternity far more than preaching to many. Can we do that? And then can we continue to do it and actually make this a part of our life and our culture and the way we relate, that when people walk in this door, they are loved. Guys, it's not hard. I had to learn this. I was like, hi, my name is Adam. Who are you? Is this your first time here? Oh, second time. Okay, great. Like, just, it's, it's feels, like, for, honestly, for me, that felt really difficult when I first started doing it. It's just a weak muscle. And then take a genuine interest, man. And that's the thing. We're not just building some social club here. These are hearts and eternities and destinies that are going to be changed because the commission to us is to show the world what Jesus is like. And so we've got to be like him. We are the mirror. We are the reflection.